This is the Horse Radio Network. Would you take a virtual riding lesson? We're talking to a top dressage trainer who's expanding her training business thanks to technology and the internet. This week, we'll dissect the biggest WTF moment at the Kentucky Derby, give Piggy the praise she deserves, and do riders actually get to keep the prize money when they win? Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Ellie Wozniaka. I'm Jessica Payne, and welcome to episode 48 of Heels Down Happy Hour. How's it going, Jess? Good. How's it going? Have you nursed your Kentucky hangover yet? Oh, yes. Just as we're like getting on the way to go to Jersey. So we have like nonstop the last couple weeks. Oh, my goodness. But we didn't get to talk until like, I mean, we talked before Doug's finish in Kentucky and holy moly, what a great weekend for you guys. It was so awesome. Like it was, it was like literally riding high for two weeks, honestly, because it was great. Like the horses finished great. All of the, you know, our horse finished great. Doug finished great and couldn't have been happier. I mean, especially it's a bit emotional since I guess last year, almost a year since April, he had surgery on a stifle. So, I mean, we never knew if he was going to make it back to the level or not. And he looks sound and he looks happy and little spoiler alert, like the team vets did look at him for like the Pan Ams. So like, that's always exciting. So I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that on the air, but don't tell anybody guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's really exciting. It's exciting and he looks great. And so, I mean, honestly, that's some of the best news as well, because, you know, you just never know after those things. Oh, totally. No, it was really exciting to watch. Like you said, Doug and Quinn, both of them looked amazing and super yeah. strong on cross country. It was great. Yeah, no, it, it, it was awesome. So a lot of fun and got to meet a bunch of people. So it was fun. So this episode is brought to you by Smart Pack. Your love for your senior horse never ends. Discover how you can give them the best care today by visiting SmartPak Senior Horse Resource Center. Visit SmartPakEquine.com to learn more. So, Justine, I hear you have a fantastic kind of summer drink for us. I do. And this one is from Jemmy, who is our Horse Radio Network producer, who's on the show most of the time with us. And she's really great at just... Handling our shenanigans and making sure we stay on track and all the behind the scenes stuff. Right, right. And she gives really great drink recommendations. So this drink is called a sangarita and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's sangria and a margarita cocktail mixed together. So this recipe calls for a strawberry version. So basically you need pureed fresh strawberries, tequila, orange liqueur, a lime or lime juice, a little agave nectar or simple syrup. And so that sounds pretty sweet, right? But so they uh, they suggest adding wine like you would for sangria. And this recipe calls for rosé, which I'm becoming oh. obsessed with because I'm very basic right now. I'm just really into rosé. And so you add the rosé to all of these other ingredients, add some sliced strawberries, some lime wheels, some orange peels to soak in the sangria and give it more flavor. And then it's ready to go. Doesn't that sound delicious? Yeah, yes. I wish I'd had this for like Cinco de Mayo. That would have been amazing. Oh, that's it's perfect for Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so good. So speaking of like we came off Rolex and all that, but did you watch the Kentucky Derby? I did. And holy crap, what a Kentucky Derby, right? Uh, very okay, well, contentious. I'm not going to lie. So we watched it. We were at a Grand Prix in Aiken. So we, Doug jumped in the Grand Prix and then we went up to like the tent and they had it playing. So we all watched the Kentucky Derby and, you know, then they turned it off and like, we all went home, like had to pack up. We didn't know for like an hour or so that maximum security didn't win. Oh my goodness. Really? Wow. Yeah. So like, we were like, wait, what, what do you mean he didn't win? Somebody called us, I think Courtney or somebody. and was like, yeah, did you hear all like the craziness? And I was like, uh, no, had no idea about any of this. So yeah, long story short, guess what? Found out that he didn't win. Uh, well, and so I thought Ellie made a really great point in the Facebook group this week. Cause I've obvious, you know, everyone has an opinion. It's been all over social media. There's been plenty of articles to read and uh, I, yeah, it was hard to watch 
them take the title away from maximum maximum security because clearly he was the fastest horse of the day, right? Like there was no denying that yeah. any other horse was close to touching him. But but I thought it was smart that they made a conservative move like that, given everything that's happened at Santa Anita and racehorse deaths. That they they went by the rule book, and even though the horses didn't have a fall or didn't collide. But you could see where their legs kind of, you know, meshed together with that spook as he moved over in their lane. I mean, it just seemed like the sa- the right safety call to make, right? No, 100%. Like, I think that that absolutely needed to happen. And, like, I agree with the stewards that they made the right call and that they needed to do it because it could have been a horrible, horrible situation. And so I think in the end, you know, everybody was in an uproar about everything. But... At the end of the day, I think it was the right call, and it is a shame that he was the fastest horse, but maybe they'll be a little bit more. I mean, you know, they say he's spooked or whatever else, so I still think you have to take, you know, what it was. Exactly. It is what it is. It, it was technically a disqualification. I think it was the right move for the sport, the right move for the horses. The horses yeah. should come first, absolutely. So. so speaking of wins, oh, my gosh, Piggy French winning badminton, unbelievable. That was the craziest thing to watch. Did you watch it? I did. It was very cool. And I, I'm not going to lie. I was an Oliver fan going into it. Like when he had that record-breaking dressage yeah. performance. I mean, I just, I was like amazed that he could come back after Kentucky with two other horses, fly halfway across the world and go and do that. But it was like a nail-biting finish, right? Holy moly. I mean, that's the thing is I can't believe, I mean, honestly, after cross country and he got the horse through everything else. I was like, he is, he's going to win. Like he's going to win. And then to have just that one. And it was only a 0.3 of a second of time is what got him. And I'm like, Oh, that's so, so painful. But in the end of the day, like I'm so happy for piggy because she completely deserved it. And did you know, she's done 25 attempts at the level. That's crazy. So this was her 25th attempt. She had 24 attempts that she didn't win, and she finally won at the five-star level. So good for her. I mean, absolutely. And she had a little son. Like she said that her, when she was in the interview, I listened to her interview, and she was amazing. And she had her little three-year-old son, and she's like, he doesn't even know I won. Like he wants the tractors. She's like, hopefully (laughs) one day that he'll do this. But basically it was really funny. She's like, it's just kind of, a common horse, her little mm-hmm. mare. And she's like, she basically isn't good 362 days of the year, but she shines at the biggest events. And I think that's so cool that like she stuck with it and she's kind of a difficult horse at home, but then gets the big shows and she deserved that win more than anybody. Absolutely. It was super cool to watch her win. Yeah. And then not on wins, but what's your news of the week? Cause you have something completely different. Yeah, so I found this story in Elle, which is a fashion magazine and not something we would normally use for news on this show. But the headline here is Polo Ralph Lauren's latest campaign celebrates black equestrians. And so I was intrigued. I was like, this is cool. And the images are all of black riders who play polo. And it's really kind of turning the image of what you think of polo on its head. You know, it's People dress in their Sunday best, drinking champagne and mimosas, watching the polo match. And it's just really cool. I thought it was a really neat campaign for, for you know, Ralph Lauren. I thought they did a great job. Me too. And I think it's a conversation that we need to be having more. I mean, it's 2019. Clearly yeah. not only white girls ride horses. You know what I mean? No. So, uh, so it was really neat. And the, and the photos are really beautiful. So we'll definitely share this in the show notes And we'll be curious to see what you guys think about it. And if you want to tune in for more news and commentary, you should really subscribe to the Heels Down Brief. It's our daily email newsletter. We do all kinds of super fun stuff. This week, we've been celebrating the Temecula National Horse Show, which is out in California, which I've learned a lot about, by the way, because showing on the West Coast seems a lot different than the East Coast. And not only... Are they, is that horse show actually on a racetrack? So you get to see the Mm -hmm. jockeys warming up the horses in the morning, but they're also in the middle of California's wine country. So what's a better excuse to like go and see a winery after your horse show. So you should sign up for the heels down brief at bit.ly slash HD brief. So you guys remember, I actually did the review of the Cavalli box winner box, and I got a lot of cool, cool stuff. And this time, Ellie got to do the summer box. So Ellie, tell us a little bit about it. So I was super excited because 
I usually just get normal Amazon boxes. And this was like so pretty even on the outside. So I was super excited. And I got some of the Sport Essential Fly Spray, a best brush forward like brush cleaning kit, which I think is so important because a lot of people don't clean their grooming brushes. The T-Tech t-shirt. And it says strong is the new pretty, which I think is really important because we should be promoting, you know, healthy and muscular riders, not necessarily just tall and skinny. Kicking on a novel by Lori Burgle, a heated horse reusable cooling towel, really neat foot huggy boot socks and unadorned equine apothecary braiding spray, which, yeah, the braiding spray I thought was really cool because I've always just used like that. I can't remember the brand name, but like the sticky spray. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it, yeah. And it, and it just gets really annoying, but this stuff like smelt really good and it like got all the flyaways and stuff. And it was really nice. I mean, I don't, oh, nice. I don't braid my own horses for shows cause I have like terrible OCD. So it takes me like four hours, <laughs> but I did braid my Western horse just for, you know, training braids and stuff. And this just did such a nice job. Like it looked so good. I also got really neat stickers, which I'm excited about because I'm a child inside. So there are five to seven items usually in the box, um, and it's delivered four times a year, as we know, because Jess got the winter box. The quarterly membership is $54.95, and the annual is $52.50. If you guys are interested, you can get a 15% listener's discount with promo code HEELSDOWN, all one word in caps. Visit CavalliClub.com to order. All right, everybody. So I'm really excited to introduce our guest on the show today. We have Aless Jordan Gunderson, who is a Grand Prix dressage rider and trainer based in Wellington, Florida. She competed at the 2018 World Equestrian Games in Tryon and was the first ever athlete to represent the Philippines at the FEI Dressage World Cup final. In addition to teaching dressage riders, she also works with show jumpers and is part of Kent Farrington's team. Annalise is a model. Hey, Les, thanks for having Hi. us. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Thank Hello. you for having me. My, uh, you guys are taking my podcast virginity. It's my first time. <laughs> oh my goodness! Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome. Thanks. <laughs> So, Alessa, we've talked to you uh, several times through the magazine, but we're really excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, I feel like I'm part of the family. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I heard you had some news to share with us that you are launching an online training service. Yeah. And I wanted to learn more about that. You know, we've heard, you know, we've heard a little bit about this. It's becoming like a, a, a you know, a thing that trainers are experimenting with. Like, we know, Lainey Ashker just started a online like through her, I think it's like through an app on your phone, mm-hmm. uh, like virtual training. So mm-hmm. can you tell me more about your service and why you wanted to get into this? Okay. okay. So it kind of all stemmed from what I was going through when I was growing up. I grew up, if you guys don't know, which you all should, if you read the Heels Down magazine, um, I grew up in Malaysia where you, we didn't really have access to a whole lot of trainers or, you know, facilities or, or even you know, being able to travel anywhere to compete. So I was always stuck by myself going around the arena. <laughs> so I thought to myself, there's got to be some other girls that are dealing with this problem who are just as passionate about horses and riding and want to get better. So what can I do to help them? So this is kind of where the idea was born, where I could reach out to these girls or, or guys or horse lovers, basically, and be able to help them from the comfort of their own arena, their own home, on their own horse, without having to charge a huge a huge training fee or without them having to pay for me to fly out there or without them having to trailer. So really it's basically a little bit, I would say a little better than reading a book or watching a video and it's a lot more individualized. So you feel like you really are working with me. Um, like I was right there in, in your arena, right there in your ear, <laughs> basically. <laughs> So I have a question because, well, I have several, several questions, but (laughs) so if you wanted to get to be part of this, like how would somebody, you know, go about, I know there's like fill out a questionnaire and stuff like that, but tell us a little bit about like, if I wanted to have a lesson with you virtually, like what would be the steps basically? So you go on my website, which links, there's a link to my online store. And actually right now until May 21st, we have a pre-launch special. So you can get it at an even cheaper price. Oh, even better. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you basically purchase a session with me and what you receive when you when you initially buy it is a questionnaire about your horse, you, your goals. Um, and then it's, there's also instructions on the best way to capture a video. So that's the key thing here is you're capturing a video of yourself riding. And for the introductory would be there's instructions on what you should show and kind of examples of things you should show. And then they send that to me and within two to three days, they get back from me an individualized, completely personalized training package that includes notes from me um, about their ride. And it has normally about three to five exercises completely tailored to their horse and their riding, as well as a sound bite where I record basically me watching their ride and, and every single one of my comments. So it's a live recording. It's very live. It's like, I accidentally did one when I had the cold, so I had to apologize for that one. Oh, no. But, you know, it's live comments and, you know, we'll go through the ride and I'll say, okay, let's pause here and back up a little bit. Now let's rewatch that. So it's really like I was sitting with the rider and going through their ride with them, essentially. Interesting. So I have a question related to that, because do you notice that your training style, I'm, obviously you teach lessons in person all the time. Is it different when you know you're um, looking at something on a screen and then, and then the rider you're coaching is looking at on a screen, like, is your technique different? Are you looking for things differently or talk or explaining things differently, knowing that you're not having that face-to-face -face yeah. connection? Yeah, it's definitely different because obviously when I'm standing in the arena with the person riding, I'm able to say things to the rider and they can do it right away. Um, and so they can react basically when I say something to them with the online training when it's a video, I really try to take my time to explain why we do things. And that's why I really emphasize that we rewatch it. We, we rewind, go back and watch, okay, do we see why this happened here? So it's a really, I would say it's very, very broken down the training, but I think that's what makes it so great. Cause you can watch your video with the sound clips, with your homework package over and over again to truly understand understand your ride, which maybe you don't actually get quite as well um, when you're riding live with me. Because a lot of times I'll find students will do, you know, what I say right in that moment. But then the next day, they won't actually remember why they did it because they're just so used to hearing me. So I actually think it's a really great way for someone to break down their riding and, and really get to know what they're doing. I have a question related to that. So is this like, like a one-time you know, virtual lesson, or is it like a subscription thing where you like work with you for a month or so? Oh, so definitely. Um, so we officially launched on May 21st <laughs> and definitely I encourage riders to stick, to stick with it with me. So I actually do have a few riders that started with the pre-launch that are already signed up to continue. And some of them are doing bi-weekly, some of them are doing monthly, and it's really a great way for riders to check in on their progress. Especially, for example, I have one rider that <laughs> is in South Africa, which is like crazy to, <laughs> to be super cool. <laughs> and yeah, to teach someone in South Africa, you know, she really wants help in the show ring. So she will touch base with me before she goes to compete to get some help kind of prior going into the ring. And then we'll get together again after she competes and go through the test. And she'll actually send me all of her test rides and we'll go through those. So it's really, it's really what the riders want to make it for themselves and it's even and I'll even talk about the jumpers that I help with here because it's a little different for the jumpers I'll give them exercises to do after their first ride and then the next ride I'll have them repeat the exercises and see how they're kind of how their horses are learning from it how they're learning from it and then we'll challenge them a little bit more we'll do more difficult exercises and we'll really do things that will apply to their jumping as well so it's really yeah, speaking of that, like with the um, with the jumpers, how did you end up kind of getting to work with the jumpers and all that? And then kind of, you know, what kind of got you into that? Do you Because you were a jumper before, correct? <laughs> yes. So I've always done both um, dressage and jumping as a kid. I've, I've absolutely loved it. Um, and then I actually focused on jumping for a little while while out in California. And then due to, due to an accident is why I focused on dressage. But I absolutely still have such a passion and love for for jumping and I love working with the jumpers and it's really a valuable kind of a really valuable asset for jumpers to have such a strong dressage background or you know they like to call it flat work because essentially it's dressage with poles or with jumps in between it <laughs> yeah but, 
but it's really an asset to them. And more and more jumpers today are, are realizing what a difference it makes to them, whether well, they how, have young, how important it is. Yeah, how important what, it is. Whether it's a young horse or even an experienced horse. A lot of my riders with Kent, uh, for example, have horses that are completely green, you know, six years old barely can go a straight line between the jumps all the way to horses that are doing five-star events from Kent's horses as well as students' horses. How did you, how did you get to start working with Kent and how is it working with Kent and his like, oh. whole team? <laughs> I, I love it. It's, it's honestly such a cool job to have and I, I hope I have it for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool to be with one of the top riders. It's pretty awesome <laughs> part of that team. Yeah, I, I love it. And it's a, it was a really I don't know, accidental or strange way that I, I got into that. Or I actually, fate. Yeah. <laughs> I actually were, was working for Tiffany Foster. Okay. She had a couple of horses that she felt really needed some dressage, you know, basic training to get going that, that really needed that extra help. So I started with a couple of horses there and she's like, oh, they're, they're going really well. So can you do a couple more? And I'll, yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? I'll, I'll, I'll do a couple more. And so that kind of grew. And then one day she asked if I'd be interested in helping Kent out. And it was actually really funny because, you know, she was saying, you know, it's Kent and he's got some great girls. And if you're willing to teach them, that would be great. And I was like, no, that sounds amazing. And she was like, yeah, just the only thing is his horses are a little wilder than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, what? Like, what do you mean? Well, they're just not as you know calm as mine. Just, I just want you to be prepared. I was like, Oh my gosh! <laughs> You're like, at what point I, am I, I a little know. scared? <laughs> I grew up on X race horses. I think, I think we should be able to handle this. And um, to this day, it, his horses are all very quirky, but I absolutely love them, and it's and it's what makes them the fireball that they are. And and it's such an amazing experience to be able to to be part of that team. <laughs> I have a question just in terms of like, you know, show jumpers and their um, conceptions about dressage. What are some, you know, common ideas that you run into that, um, what are some common misconceptions you run into with show jumpers and what they think about dressage and their like opinions towards it, whether positive or negative? Well, definitely. Well, I have to say, and I have to praise Kent for this. If you know, not knowing or not being very close with Kent before and not really knowing much about him over the past, gosh, it's over a year now that I've worked there. That rider, that man has amazing flat. <laughs> His, he can ride so fast in the ring and look like just be so fast in the ring. But when you see him work his horse on the flat, I would be happy to send him into the dressage ring and know he's going to do well. And that is something that is so important that a lot of these younger or up and coming riders don't understand. A lot of these professionals get it. They're, they get it. They get that dressage and flat work is so important and what makes a horse. And what a lot of these young riders or adult amateurs don't see is that behind the scene training. They don't see Kent or McLean or Beezy, you know, before the class starts in the back of the FEI stalls in the ring doing their flat work. They don't get to see that unless you're, you know, in those FEI stalls. So right, absolutely. I have to really emphasize to some young riders and some juniors and adult amateurs that this part of it, if you want to be successful in the ring, no matter what height you want to jump, it all starts with the homework at, at home. It all starts in between the fences. That's a really great point, Alas. So I know you were at the World Cup Finals last year. You were at the World Equestrian Games. I know you just got married. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're starting a family soon, right? Too. Um, you've got a lot going on. <laughs> just everything packed in in a couple of years. Boom. <laughs> oh my goodness, seriously. Um, so what you how what's your I mean what's your schedule like obviously if you're going to be having a baby you're slowing down a little bit with riding but how do you you know are you kind of charting your long term plans for when you get back into the ring or you're going to focus more on training or or what's next for you Definitely I really hope and plan to make training a, a long term thing for me like I said I, I really hope to continue to work with Kent Farrington and his team I love working with with their riders and their horses and their whole mentality but I also hope to keep working with you know dressage riders in my own program um, and continue that that's really something that I think is is part of being a professional it's part of our responsibility to share our knowledge and to to create other top riders out there so I hope that's with me for a long time but as well as as far as myself 
Definitely still a lot more that I want to achieve. <laughs> I'm going for the triple the triple there, World Cup Finals, World Equestrian Games, and hopefully an Olympics next. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, that's the, that's the big goal, obviously. But with, of course, having a baby in August, you know, my summer is normally spent traveling to different shows, and we're normally in Spruce or in Europe. But this summer, I will be keeping it a little, a little calmer and staying in Wellington, <laughs> making sure I have that baby here, not on a plane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, really after the baby is born, continuing with what I, what I love to do and, and sharing that with my family. Fortunately, my husband is also a professional in the sport, so it makes uh, life a little easier with sharing the workload and, <laughs> and hopefully our baby, our son will love it just as much as we do. So <laughs> that would be, that would be, It'd be fun. Aw. Yes, well, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. This was wonderful. It was great to talk to you. Again, thank you guys for having me. And, and I really hope all the listeners and the Heels Down fam will try out my online coaching. And I, I really look forward to meeting a bunch of new people and seeing all you guys ride. <laughs> so, Alas, Absolutely. What's, what's your website for people who want to read more about the coaching? Um, so you can go to www.alessjordan.com. So it's E-L-L-E-S-S-E jordan.com. Great. All thank right. you again. Yeah, thank you. Guys. Yay. <laughs> Whether you need a water solution for one horse in the stall, two in the backyard, or 40 head in the pasture, the classic equine by Richie line of waterers provides trouble-free, worry-free access to water on demand. Visit classicequinebyrichie.com for additional information. Richie, fresh water for life. So guys, when we were getting ready for the special Kentucky show, we pulled our Facebook group for questions on specific topics that they wanted us to tackle on air. And there was one question that came up a couple of different times, which I thought was really interesting. And I thought we should just tackle it ourselves. So the question is, what is your warm up routine? Um, and that goes beyond just, you know, what you're doing with your horse to get him limber and loose and get ready to go in the show. But uh, mentally during your warm up, what are you doing for yourself and also for your horse? So both mentally and physically. So Jess, why don't we start with you from, you know, the upper level perspective? What, what is your mentality going into the warm up? So, um, right before I go, like while we're back at the barns and stuff, I try to just kind of keep my mind on the job, whether it's going cross country, whether it's show jumping or it's going through the dressage test of like really just taking a few minutes and making sure I know I've gone through my plan, especially like cross country at the big events that you're like going through X, Y, and Z and plans A through F or whatever they are, you know, for each combination. And then for the dressage, like making sure not only do I know the pattern of the test, but what I'm going to do, you know, to prepare for those movements and everything. I'm really just kind of thinking about it and giving myself that time needed. And then basically just once I'm on it, like I don't like a lot of like quietness while I'm in the warm up ring. So like it kind of, I always have like my coach in there and something like that. So that if it's quiet scares me is what I said one time. <laughs> so <laughs> if they're not saying anything, I'm thinking it's got to be that horrible that like they can't fix it by saying anything. So a lot of people I know want the quiet and want to figure it out themselves. Like I want to kind of be making sure that I'm doing the right thing and that they're saying, Hey, look, do this, this, and this. So Jan was always great. Like she knew exactly how to warm me up. So she'd always just kind of talk through and say, Hey, a little bit more, this a little bit more that. And it was little bitty things, but she was so particular about all the specifics and the details that she's great to be in the warm up with me so that I know that like every little detail was there. So that's kind of my warm up for mainly dressage. And then for show jumping and stuff, it's just, you know, I don't jump that many jumps. I kind of make sure that I'm, you know, I have all the tools in my box that I just make sure my horse is warmed up enough and that they're ready to go do their job that they've kind of been training for. So like how many jumps? I'm always curious, like less than 10, less than five in your warm up. 10 ish. Okay. Just enough where you the, get that, the feel of what you want for the course. Yeah, And it depends on the level, right? Like, so, so at the upper levels, I have to do a little bit more because I start, I don't, I start about the same height, honestly, but like they'll kind of, upper levels, obviously I start a little bit bigger, but I start with like a, you know, a medium size oxer and then get it up there. And then I end with like a tall vertical. 
Okay. Or like a one stride or whatever, depending on what it is. So, you know, on some of my horses, I only need, you know, five, depending if it's at the lower stuff, but mainly it's usually about 10 to 12 ish. What about yeah. you, Ellie, from, you know, like the adult Amy perspective, how do you, what are you doing when you're warming up? Well, so my thing, and I'm kind of like what Jess touched on, my trainer always said growing up, you know, if you don't know it before you go into the warm up, you're not about to learn it, you know? So it's kind of like, my thing is mostly mental. Um, like I just, I get in my head and like try to psych myself out, even though, you know, I've prepared basically, you know, all year for sometimes one event, you know? So I actually, a couple years ago at the USHJA emerging athlete program, it was at nationals, Daniel Stewart, who is a sports psychologist and he does like the Olympic team and stuff. Have you guys heard of him? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, he came in and did like, I don't know, like a session, I guess you could say. And he kind of told us to come up with like a mantra for ourselves um, to kind of remind ourselves like on course. Um, And someone had something like, I mean, he wanted like acronyms. Someone had his example, I think was like star. So like stop talking and ride, like, you know, stuff like that. And so he gave us a night to think about it. And mine (laughs) ended up being Mulan, um, which is move up leg and nipples. Because when, (laughs) because when I ride, like specifically in the jumpers, I have a horse that, you know, covers a lot of ground, but he's a Clyde thoroughbred. So he doesn't feel like he's going very fast. So I'm always nervous. I'm like, we're not going to make it, you know? So my habit is to, you know, lean forward. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, nipples reminds me to pick my chest up, you know, and (laughs) leg on. And so anyway, that's my kind of routine is just to you know, have a good laugh and just relax because it should be fun. If it's not fun, you shouldn't be doing it. That's kind of my mentality. Yeah, that's great. I really like that. I'm never going to forget Mulan now. (laughs) (laughs) Neither um, is Daniel Stewart, actually. I don't think he'd ever heard someone (laughs) say nipples to his face. He got real red. He was like, what in the world? Who is this girl? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. That's interesting. So the last horse show I went to, normally my horse is like cool as a cucumber, never really gets upset. He's just not that type of thoroughbred. But I, he was at my last horse show and I was very surprised. And so it totally messed up my whole warm up, right? Because I just, I had a horse that I wasn't prepared for that I hadn't experienced yet. And he was like really wanting to jig and was, you know, I was getting ready to go into a hunter derby. It was the first class of the day. And I had this anxious horse that I just hadn't had before. And that made me anxious, right? So now my body's all tense. I'm starting to think about, should I scratch? And I had a really hard time with it. It was a it was a long warm-up, a longer warm-up than I've ever really done with my horse. And I ended up adding a jumper class in the ring next door just to get him to go around quiet. You know what I mean? Like, get all your, you know, wiggles out over here. And I do think that helped. But I think, Ellie, like you said, like, you're from a training perspective, like, you're not going to train the horse something new in the warm-up before your class, right? So, Jess, do you have any advice for a horse like that? Like, I... I was able to work through it, but, and, and basically using the tips that you just said, Ellie, like where I just said, all right, leg on, send him forward, give him a job. And just, you know, that's all I can do is really just ask him to go do something. But yeah. just, do you have tips for when the warm up is not going as planned? I guess. I think you just have to like basically think, okay, I got to put it out of my mind that yes, they're, because I think as soon as you start panicking and stuff, it makes it worse, right? Sure. So the more you think about, hey, they're not going well, I'm going to screw up, I'm going to screw up, you know, then you start to make it even worse. So as hard as it really is, is like mentally get yourself in the game and say, okay, look, I'm going to go put him in these jumps, put him in the dressage ring, do some of the like exercises. And maybe it's not the hardest part of it. Like don't go maybe jump the highest, maybe just get him confident and keep him jumping. Like maybe there, you have to jump a couple more jumps. And for us, like if the horses are going to be a little bit hotter, a little bit like up that day, we always give ourselves 10, 15 extra minutes. And then worst case, we just hang out in the warm up. Honestly, we have no problem just standing there. So like for the future, sometimes just getting on a little bit earlier so that you have the time and you don't feel rushed always works for us. So the jumper class ended up doing the trick for me. It was, it was way lower than the hunter or than the derby course was. It was low inviting jumps. He got to be like wiggly and stupid, you know, over the first three, four fences. And then I was able to, then I had a horse with a, like his brain came back and then I could 
put him to work. So I'm lucky that I got on early that I could, that I was able to do that. Exactly. But yeah, no, absolutely. Cause yeah, I, mean, I think they don't let you ride in the, you know, like even though I got up early and was schooling, they don't let you ride in the derby ring right before the no. class. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I've had that issue with Berkeley before too. Like, cause he gets, I think like he feels peer pressure, right? So he gets in and he sees all these fancy horses and he thinks he has to like puff out his chest like a freaking peacock. <laughs> but so his, like what I do with him and I can't remember who told me this, but it was like the best advice I ever got. Cause it was really helpful even when I was, you know, younger, but, um, is just like, and it's hard to do in a warm up ring, but just trotting like aimlessly like in a really forward working trot and like doing like, you know, you know, egg turns on the rail and just like, like, so they don't know where they're going. And that is like the best thing, at least for him to get his head like out of the clouds and like back in his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that could help. Yeah. It's just obviously difficult to do if there's like a lot of people in a warm up ring, but if there's like another ring, I usually try to go out there and just, you know, draw, just draw some things in the arena. Yeah. Totally. If you guys haven't gotten an EIS shirt, I totally recommend. They're designed for energetic people in need of high-performance sun protection. EIS stands for Energetic, Innovative, and Stylish. These are some of the coolest shirts ever. I honestly think they're witchcraft. Um, (laughs) It's cooler than a t-shirt, and they protect you from harmful UV rays. Check out all of EIS's new colors and styles at www.equiinstyle.com. So it's that time, Rose and Thorn. I've got a big one. So, or a thorn anyway, is that it's still so muddy. And even my new pasture is all ruined now. And I'm just really bummed about it. And it's gross. And I want to run outside, but it's a muck pit. So your pasture was grass, but just this rain has just totally destroyed it the last couple months? Well, I have, like, lots of different pastures, and I I have a herd of five, and then, mm-hmm. like, the colt that I'm breaking goes out alone. So I try to rotate them around, and so I move them out of the muddy pasture and move them into, like, a newer grass pasture. So they were all excited, you know, because the grass is really good there, and then, you know, it rained for a week straight, and now... My nice pasture is now just as bad as the other pasture. So that's just kind of depressing because it makes everything so much longer. You know, the horses, I mean, my black horse looks like a Palomino. He's just that caked. Oh, no. Uh. And I just, because then you get covered in dirt, like, before you even get on. And I'm just like, oh, just annoying. Yeah, that sucks. I feel for you. But I do have a really good rose, too. So this colt that I have right now, who is actually a half brother to um, my boyfriend's horse, um, I mounted him for the first time the other day and he went really well. I was really, you know, happy about it and excited. So, oh, so that's you exciting. You didn't get injured or anything. It was very, uneventful. I didn't No, <laughs> And that's how it should be. You know, like I think yeah. people get, you know, misconceptions with, you know, breaking horses that it's going to be you know, bronking, but I mean, I got on him and he didn't even, he was just like, oh, okay. He turned around. So I was there and that was it. Justine, do you have yours? Sure. So my rose is kind of a funny story. So on Saturday, Kentucky Derby day, my mom threw my dad a surprise 60th birthday party. That's exciting. Yeah, it was really fun. She did a really good job. And uh, my husband and I were like the people that were supposed to trick him into going to do something all day. And then everyone, you know, then we brought him to the party and surprise, blah, blah, blah. So we told him because my parents live about an hour or so north of where we live. And so my mom was like, oh, Justine's going to stop by. She was taking a riding lesson and she's just going to come by the house and say hi and we'll do dinner like a birthday dinner. And so I show up and I'm not dressed like I just came from a riding lesson. You know what I mean? Because there oh used to gosh. be like pulling yeah, the clothes. horse. Yeah, exactly. That I would be like exhausted and homeless looking and sunburned and disgusting. And I, I wore like a cute outfit because I knew it was going to be a party, but I, I didn't know what to do. And so we walk in and my dad's like, is that what you wore riding? And I was wearing this like <laughs> cute little, I'm into jumpsuits now. I've got this like cute little fancy jumpsuit on. 
And um, so then I had to like come up with a lie on the fly. And I was like, actually, I went to a Kentucky Derby party. And he was like, well, isn't the Kentucky Derby tonight? I'm like, yes, <laughs> but I went to it earlier because I knew we were having dinner. I had to keep like changing the lie. And so what we did to take my dad out is uh, he's he's become obsessive, compulsive of like my husband and I being homeowners that he wants to come here and like fix stuff and do stuff around the house all the time. But he is like the least handy man in the universe. I mean, I love love him to death, but no, he's not a handyman. So he's really into, into plants right now because we're getting ready to landscape, like read landscape our front yard. And he's like obsessed with plants. So my mom's like, you need to keep him out of the house for an hour and a half. And I'm like, holy crap, that's a long time to like look at plants or something, right? So <laughs> yeah, what am I going to tell him now? So I'm I'm dressed like I'm not going to a, a you know a riding lesson, and we're now we're driving to go look at plants with my dad, and he brings a pair of binoculars because the place he wants to go to is closed. And I'm like, so what are we going to do? Just stand across the street and look at the nursery Stare at with, it with binoculars? And no, we like climbed the fence and used the binoculars to like look at all their because pl- it's like a big farm with acres of plants. And we were so I'm like in this fancy jumpsuit with my dad lying to him about what we're doing, climbing this fence with binoculars to like look at plants and stuff with them all day. But it ended up working out. He had no idea. He was so obsessed with talking about various plants that he we actually surprised it- him. It was like two hours, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, and we were, he drove us through neighborhoods and would pull into people's driveways and like we'd look at plants in strangers' yards and stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh, of, that's amazing. My d- I husband, wish I could have seen that, like from the outside, just people on top of a fence with binoculars looking at a right? plant nursery. <laughs> it was very ridiculous. And then I was like taking notes to make it look serious. And I get to work on Monday and I'm like, oh yeah, I took pages and pages of notes about plants. <laughs> oh, it was, it, but whatever it worked he, and we surprised him and it was fun so um and then let's see what's my thorn was your thorn that you looked at plants for two hours yeah. <laughs> that would be my thorn <laughs> that's what i was thinking a whole lot of green oh my goodness a lot of green I, i've learned I, all kinds of different names for plants now i don't have a green thumb at all so that would definitely be my green i know mean, it'd be my thorn that is okay so that's part of my thorn because uh the other part is my chickens are out of control at my house in that they keep, okay, whoever said chickens aren't smart, like clearly never had chickens because these damn chickens are smart. They figure stuff out so fast where I have them in my backyard. So they have a fenced yard with like a 12 foot fence, but then we have like a little chicken wire fence that we kind of keep them on one side of the house. And the rest of our backyard is nice. Like we landscaped it and there's like we sit out there and enjoy it but they keep jumping over the little chicken wire fence and eating all my plants like eating all my decorative plants that i put in the backyard like i have a succulent wall and all kinds of plants and stuff and they figured out how to get over and eat all of those things so i clipped their wings thinking that would be enough to like keep them on their side of the of the yard and nope they still figure out how to get over to the other side of the yard so i have to find a way to keep them enclosed that is amazing. Because they're just, so then they poop on the nice side of the yard. Then my dogs eat the poop and now they're eating my plants. And I'm like, why do I have chickens, man? Why did I do this in the first place? <laughs> Can you the put eggs. chicken wire like on top, like as like a roof of their area? I, I know they do that for like that. other coops, but I don't I know think, how big of a space, you know? I was thinking that too, but then I was thinking they would, they could still get over it as a roof. You know what I mean? Like they could yeah. flutter on top. We got to figure something out. We gotta figure something out. That's Give amazing. Them ball and chains. Do they make chicken ball and chains? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like hobble them, you know? Like yeah, hobble them. Yeah. Oh, poor chickens. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. They're funny. So, though. but you. So just... my rose. I think my rose has got to be like we're still living on the high of how great Rolex was, and it was such a good week, and there's just a lot of fun, and I got to see uh, my mom and dad. So that was pretty cool, and so. I don't really have like, I guess my thorn would be the question world that what, what's my thorn? Maybe you have a better one. 
Does it say that your kid won't stay in the car for more than six hours? That is true. <laughs> but I'm actually not complaining about that because then I don't have to sit in the car for more than six hours. So That's we true. get to be and we got to stay home for like two extra days, which means we just worked for two extra days here teaching lessons and stuff. Poor Doug talked forever today. So, but my thorn would have to be this past week. Did you hear Roy Burke died from Charles Owen? I did. That's so that sad. That he had done so much for our sport. Like my husband and I are so big advocates of like wearing helmets and everything else and the safety of it. And it was just really, really sad to hear that because, you know, one, it's very sad for his family and everything else. But, you know, the sport took a big hit too because the technology and like just his innovations and everything is going to be a huge loss to us. So that's probably absolutely that really, is really sad. RIP. So such a such thing, but that would be my thorn for sure. So well, now it's on to ma- mailbag, a little bit more fun stuff though. Exactly. And we have a good question for you, Jess, um, okay. as someone who does the upper levels. So Katie in the Facebook group asked, she has a question about the prize money and she wasn't sure where to ask. So she came to us and she wants right to know, place. yeah, she wants to know, so riders say like when they win a top, you know, a five-star event or even a show jumping class, do they get to keep the money or how does it go to owners and syndicates? Is it split up? She wants to know, is it maybe different for each rider and owner or so I figured so, just you were the one to answer that. I can. And you know, I'll tell you like straight up. So, and I'm not just going to go, Oh, everybody's different. So it is very much everybody's different. It is very much what is everybody's agreement with the horse owners, whether, you know, they're the owner or they have syndicate members or they're just, a lot of ours are owned 50, 50. So it's Doug and I with another couple is, or, you know, another person, but basically that's a 50, 50 split. So we put in half of, you know, basically half of the training and everything else, um, half the expenses, everything it's like split down the middle. So then we get half of the prize money. So that is, I think we own like 12 of those, like half of 12 horses in our barn or something crazy like that. And then the other ones, like we have a Grand Prix horse that we own 0% of them. Then we only get 10% of his prize money, but they pay all of the bills. So it kind of, it's per horse and per rider. I know there are some event people that they actually, I don't think it matters if they own a certain percentage of it. So ours is whatever percentage we own of the horse, we get that amount of prize money, if that makes sense. But there are other people that it's owned by a syndicate and everything else. It doesn't matter if the rider owns like 20% of the horse or whatever, no matter what they get 50% of the prize money. And I'm like, wow, that's that's a lot. I mean, a good deal, huh? Yeah. So, I mean, and it's really, it's just what your people are comfortable with and what you agree upon. So you'll see everything from 50 to 10. And with most show jumpers that we've talked to about it is they take a lot of the show jumpers don't own their own horses or don't have like a group or whatever that they take 10% of it. Okay. Or whatever percentage they own, just like us. So, you know, we don't do a lot of syndicates. We actually um, don't have any syndicate horses. So ours are all based on everybody owns a certain, like, I think all but one of our horses is we're 50-50 or we own 25% of one of the horses. Interesting. Are there many riders out there who actually own their top level horse? I mean, that's pretty uncommon at that level, right? It's uncommon, but there's quite a few than you wouldn't think. Like, I think um, they're kind of the one horse that they had and they got up the levels and they've owned it. So Mm -hmm. there are, I wouldn't say a number of them, but it's not also unheard of, I guess you should say. So like we own a couple of our babies, but mainly once they become we're either going to sell them or, you know, we're going to actually go into a partnership with somebody. We kind of usually know by their four or five-year-old year. Sometimes they're six-year-old. Got it. So I have a question too. And this goes back to like, you know, Jess, you said you have 50% of some and like 12% of others. What ends up being like the more profitable outcome? Because I know you said that like, you know, they pay for half the expenses and stuff like that. For like, us, I guess it depends it on how much you show, of- right? Well, no, it has to be a little bit of everything. Like we can't own 50% of everybody and we can't, um, 
we found a long time ago um, when Doug got the running order horse pulled that we've talked openly about. When that horse got pulled, we had sold another advanced horse and I retired my advanced horse all within one. I think it was like a two week period. So it went from three advanced horses in the barn to zero within a week. Um, it, at that moment, we decided to change our way of doing things and we wanted to own more and have a say so of more. So we started kind of going about that we could own half of ours. But in that sense, we still have to have others pay all the expenses. So we can't own all half of everybody, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. And, and some of it's kind of nice for the people. They don't want it, us to own any of it and they want all of it. And the mixture is what is best for us, basically. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. If that, if that makes sense. Like we weren't happy with the one way, so we changed it, but we could never have the financial ability to own 50% of everything in the barn. Right. Yeah. That's like we have crazy. a, I'm very much a math person, so we have a definite number that we cannot go above, basically, and we're pretty much at it. <laughs> but no, I mean, like, we've sold a couple, so, like, we're looking for, you know, always looking for one or two, but we can't go 10 more halves, basically. Yeah. Interesting. If that, make, if that makes sense, like, you know, and I'm always like, you know, open about things. Like, I think what is somebody is like, you talked about money on the show. I'm like, yeah, why not? Like, who cares? I think it's important. I think it's great yeah. that you're transparent because there's no way we're going to learn how this stuff works without, you know, without someone being open about it. No, so. exactly. Interesting. So if you guys so have you a guys, question, I was going to say, please ask away. Do not feel that there's any kind of question you can't ask us. So please ask in our Facebook group. Jess is an open book. She'll answer everything. So <laughs> if you have a confidential question. I feel like question, that was a loaded question that I'm going to get something for. <laughs> so you can always email us if you don't feel comfortable posting in the Facebook group at hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or again, please join our Facebook group. It's the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. We share all kinds of fun stories and ask questions all day long in that group. So if you want to hear more from us, again, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Brief at bit.ly slash hdbrief. And if you love our show, you should please leave us a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, or wherever you listen to this podcast. And we want to thank this week's partners, which is Smart Pack, Classic Equine by Richie, and EIS. And all right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.